You're listening to a sermon by New Hill Church. We pray this message helps you put Jesus into perspective. If you have any questions about this message or a relationship with Jesus, email us at engage at newhilloh.com. That all being said, we're continuing in our series, Resurgence, the book of Nehemiah. If you missed last week, um, go and listen to it on our podcast. You can find that on the website or on Apple Podcasts, and hopefully soon we'll have it up on a few other platforms for you guys to be able to listen to. Um, easily to easily access it on um, whatever phone you might have. But if you do, go back and listen to Nehemiah 3 and hear all of the names and, and, and how God is, he was calling Nehemiah not to this work of his own, right? Like we get these, these callings, right? These, these passions within us that, that we see darkness, we're broken by it. And this is kind of like a recap of all of Nehemiah so far. We see darkness, see the brokenness around us, we're broken by it. We, we lift up a prayer to God. Maybe, maybe even we take the step to, to go and to do something about it. But what can happen so easily is, is we think it's our mission, right? Like we think putting Jesus in the perspective is New Hill's mission. No, it's God's mission that he's given to all of his church, right? His entire bride, he's given the mission to go put Jesus in the perspective. We market it that way, right? That's, that's our way of, of looking unique. But the churches around us that preach the gospel faithfully are also putting Jesus in the perspective because all that is doing is going to make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that he's commanded us to do. Like this isn't something that, that we've, we've made up. But what, what we see in Nehemiah 3 is that Nehemiah was, was overseeing this work, right? He was the one called to go and to, to be what we call even with elders is, is the first of equals. And I'd say that you could easily put that with, with Nehemiah, as they looked to him like, hey, you aren't better than us, but you were, you were definitely leading this thing. You've got it by the steering wheel, and, and we're saying, Nehemiah, take the wheel. And Nehemiah is driving it, but he's like, God's got the wheel, right? God is guiding us. This is, this is something, the good hand, the, the favor of God has, has been found upon me, right? That, that God's favor is upon me and, and us in this work. So Nehemiah is overseeing, and then we see the, the communal work. We said that last week, kingdom work is communal work. And we could translate that today as, as gospel work is communal work, meaning that we have to come together. If we are going to see the darkness push back, if we are going to see our neighbors come to know Christ as God, to be saved, then we've got to do this thing together. Amen, church? All right, so we pick up here in Nehemiah 4. If you guys would, you can go ahead and turn there where we're going to be today. Nehemiah 4, we're going to be going through the, the entire chapter today. You should have an ESV scripture journal. I see some of you guys have them out. If you haven't gotten an ESV scripture journal, specifically Nehemiah, right? These are one book at a time is how they do these scripture journals. You can find them online. Or again, if you haven't gotten one, that's our gift to you. It's outside on that little stand and you can keep that. You can write notes in it. You can, you can take notes and you can, um, you can, just write down questions that you have. You can ask those in group, but we just want us to, to grow together as a church in our love and understanding of, of God's Word. But we're going to be here in Nehemiah 4. And I want to look at, at one verse before we really kind of get cruising here. One verse. Nehemiah 4, verse 6. Pat, if you can throw that one up. And it says there in Nehemiah 4, 6, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Church, can you say that, that for the people had a mind to work with me? For the people had a mind to work. Let's have a mind to work together, church. Let's enter into an attitude of prayer in this moment. Father, thank you 
for this morning, this, this space that we could come to worship you. I pray that right now, God, that we would, we would let go of the burdens that we feel have weighed us down this week. God, whether it be sickness, our job, the stresses of, of this life, the things that just want to suck the eternal joy out of our souls. God, for, for you have won the war, but God, we are still in these battles in this life while we live in the flesh. And I pray, I pray right now, God, that that burden would be lifted off of us, God, that we would say we, we know that you've, you've taken care of that for us, but we need to lean on you, especially in this time, God, that, that we could be revived and that we could go out into this week ready, ready to fight these battles, not on our own behalf, not for our name, but for Christ's name. And I pray, God, that you would, you would show us this morning that we need to stand firm in our faith God, that, that when things do seem to weigh us down and when people seem to, to try and push us back and push back the mission that, that we haven't come up with, but God, that you have called us to, God, that we would stand firm and not back down. I pray that in doing so, that, that God, people would come to know you and to love you because of what you do and what only you can do in our hearts. Father, can convict us of areas where, where we have lived faithlessly. God, and I pray today your saints would leave here faithfully. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here today what I want to focus on, the key point here in Nehemiah 4 is to stand firm. Church, can you say stand firm? Very good, very good. So we need to stand firm. What, what would be um, a, a time that I wouldn't stand firm, right? You might ask. What would be a time that, that I wouldn't stand firm in my faith? Well, how about when ridiculed? When, when, we, when we face um, the, the opposition, when, when people are coming down on us, what do we do? Do we stand firm or do we back down? When we are made fun of, when we are mocked, when we are hated by the outside world, and I, I use hate purposefully because that's what the, the outside world is doing. If they aren't loving God, they are hating God. It's like one of those things, um, my, my dad and I, we were, we were talking about Dale Earnhardt, um, the best race car driver ever. And I don't care what you say, because I'm getting into this point. My dad and I, I was like, Dad, did anybody, like, my family loved Dale Earnhardt, right? Like, I talk about how my dad didn't get me to, like, the Browns. Like, he was a Browns fan, so I like the Steelers just to, like, drive him nuts. And then I moved here, and I'm like, I really don't care. Let's be a Browns fan. Now I'm sold out. But I asked my dad, I was like, did anybody not like him? And he's like, oh, yeah. He said, you either loved him or you hated him. There was no one in the middle. And it's like, almost like Dell Earnhardt became this, like, this god of NASCAR where you loved him or you hated him. There was nothing at all in the middle. Some of you all might be like, I'm in the middle. That takes the whole argument away. So you've got to be on one side or the other for my dad's argument to be right. But it is definitely true of God that you love him or hate him. And you might say, I'm, I'm indifferent. But if you are opposed to God, then you hate him. Your, your life shows that. It's righteous versus the unrighteous, right? And it doesn't mean that we're going out like with spears like, are you the unrighteous because we're ready to fight? But it means that if you oppose God, you are against him spiritually. You are spiritually dead and not alive. So what do we do when we are ridiculed? Because church, we are called to 
Stand firm when ridiculed. That's the first supporting point. Stand firm when ridiculed. And we're really going to make this a whole statement through, throughout this message this morning. So stand firm when ridiculed. This should be essential to our faith today because faith isn't faith if it's only around during the good times. And like we can even look at the way that we worship through our giving. If we only worship out of our abundance and not out of our poverty, is it really worship? Because I can tell you right now, if I buy you Starbucks, things are going all right for me at that time. And what, that's, how I, that's something that I'm dealing with, right? That if I'm buying you Starbucks, I probably just got my tax return. So a $2 drink is like nothing to me, right? Even, I'll even let you get a sandwich around tax return time, right? It's just like one of those things to me. But, but our worship, our, our faith to God shouldn't be in our good times, but in our lowest of times. That's why the Psalms almost seem so depressing to us, right? We like read about like what David's going through and we're like, how could this man be so miserable? But then when we get miserable, what do we do? We don't even lift it up to God. You see, if we talk to God in our bad times and good times, it would look like the Psalms, which is a, a wave of just emotions, this roller coaster. See, we are, we are called to stand firm even when ridiculed. And James and Paul, they both talk about this steadfast love and, and how that steadfast love for God produces a stronger faith and it's just like the gym any anybody who's i'd say we all can understand the gym right this isn't an illustration or something that's out of all of our realms a lot of us don't go to the gym because we know the gym all too well right i'm i'm with you but you know that when you go there you're not pumping big iron yet right you're not you're not lifting a lot of weight you've got to get stronger but church our spiritual faith our faith our relationship with Jesus is going to remain as weak as the day we became saved if we're never willing to praise Him in our hard times. When we just back down, when the enemy seems to push us a little bit. You see, that when we don't just simply back down, but we face the adversity, church, we come out stronger. My brother is six foot six. We got different dads. You know where he got the height from. But I tell you what, I would never back down from my brother. And what did it do? It made me stronger. And I just eventually I just like took him, right? Like six years old, taking my twelve year old brother. I'm like, yeah, I don't care if you got a different dad. My dad's stronger. And like got him in a headlock. Verse one of Nehemiah four says this. Now when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of both his brothers and the army of Samaria. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones of the heap of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite said, um, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. What is Ken Ballot so mad about, right? Well, if you read in chapter 3, if you go back and listen to last week's message and then throw in a short Google search on the history at this time, Stan Ballot was losing the temporary power that he had, he had over the Jews, that he had established over the Jews, and he didn't like that. We don't like when power is taken from us. What, no one likes if their boss comes up and says, hey, you're going to be demoted, right? Like, you're, you're losing authority. I feel like I'm just like, just fire me, right? Like, because then you're, you're giving them, like, I, the things that he's done to the Jews, 
and he's losing that authority, now they're going to be standing over him like, oh, how the tables have turned, Stan Ballot. He doesn't like this. You see, Stan Ballot had been exploiting the weakness of Jerusalem. He'd been showing their weakness. He'd been showing that, that their God, he'd been trying to tell them, your God's not strong. If your God was strong, these walls would be built up. If, if your God was the, the God of Israel, these things wouldn't be, but he's, he's not around, is he? See, church, that's, that's what the outside world tries to, to do to us. They, they jeer at us. They mock us. And they love to do it, not when we're doing well, but when we're down and we're out and we, we are helpless and when we feel hopeless, even though we have a mighty Savior that brings us the hope and the good news that is only found in His Son, Jesus. But they, they hit us when we're down. Having no walls, no resources, and little faith, the Jews were an easy target. Because bullies don't like to pick on the bigger guy. They like to pick on the defenseless one. When I was a kid, I don't know if I've shared this story with you guys sometimes, but um, at, at some point in time, but when I was a kid, I remember my dad, the first thing he told me was, you never start a fight, right? You end it, but you don't start it. So my dad always told me, we don't start fights. I got in a few fights as a kid, and my dad finally, he just told me, he's like, I never started one, by the way. And I'm not justifying any of the fights that I was in. But I'll tell you, my dad got sick of it, and he told me, he said, you do not hit back. We're going to start turning the other cheek. I thought, crud. Like, you need, like, so your dad says that, right, this is the most biblical thing I'd ever been told as a kid. Turn the other cheek. And I was like, wow, okay. Like, sounds good. We're going to start using Scripture on each other. This is great. So turn the other cheek, no fighting. All right, Dad, sounds good. Some time went by. Kid was getting picked on on the bus, and I remember setting up, and I'm like, you just like to pick on the weaker kid. All right, see what happens when you get off the bus, Mike? See what happens when you get off the bus? I'm like, man, my dad told me not to fight back. I'm like, all right, we're just, I've got like five houses i got to get down. I'm just going to walk and get to the house, right? And I remember walking, and they pushed me. And they pushed me, and I was like, I can't, I can't push back. I got my hands in my pocket. And that's when they realized I was the defenseless one. That something had changed at my house because had I been pushed before, I would have pushed back. They knew I never started fights, but I would get into them. And at that moment, they realized I was defenseless. And you, and you know what happened? I got slapped in the face. And I thought, <sighs> literally, I'm like, I'm... 12 years old, and I'm like, hands in my pockets, I, I got slapped in the face, and I got home, and I called my dad, enraged, and I said, dad, you do not forget what they just did to me, they, they hit me, and my dad felt so bad, and we went back to our original rule, but <laughs> I remember just being so mad, but, but that's what bullies do, church, they, they pick and they poke until they realize that there's a weakness. And then they, they try and destroy us. So what does Stan Ballot do with this anger? What does any bully do? He runs his mouth. He jeered. Jeered means mocked. That he was mocking them. He mocked the Jews for their work and, and what they were doing, the great work that they were doing, not for themselves, but for the God Almighty. Yahweh. Our God, church. What they were doing was not to build up these walls so that they could keep the enemy out. It was so that they could worship God. Because that hadn't been going on and Nehemiah knew there needed to be change. 
So church, we are to stand firm when we're ridiculed. Verse 2, stand by, this is where he begins his, his mocking. In verse 2, and he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? What will they do? Stand by, he, he begins this, this mocking here. And remember, he's the enemy. He's the rival. He's like Michigan to Ohio State football. And though he is speaking to his people, right, if you look at that, he's, he's speaking to his people, right? His buddies who are going to also antagonize the Jews in this work. But even though they're speaking privately amongst each other, he knows that the word will get out. He knows that word will get out. They, they think that they're, they're plotting in secret, but it will be exposed and the Jews will find out. This report will reach the people of Jerusalem without a doubt. Nehemiah in the Persian capital found out that the walls were down in Jerusalem thousand miles away. You think he's not going to find out that just around the corner they're plotting against him, they're making fun of him, they're trying to destroy and bully what is going on. The word he speaks, the words he speaks about them. See, he knows why they're rebuilding. He knows the God behind this project and truthfully, he's scared. You can look in the Old Testament and there are literally people opposing God that still didn't want to mess with God because they knew His power. No, we don't mess with the Jewish people. We don't mess with the, the God of the Jews. They knew. And He knew. And He was scared. So what do you do? You bully. Verse 3. Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him. He said, yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Then Tobiah, the weaker vessel, call him weaker because he waits for a standout to speak up. Right? Have you all ever seen the, the Christmas story movie? Like, and you, you've got the, the villains. Yeah, Pat, nobody else has seen the Christmas story movie. You guys live in Cleveland. Like, you all, uh, most of you all, I think, were like born and raised around this area. I'm from West Virginia, and when TNT shows or TBS, whatever, uh, 24 hours, that's, we leave it on there, right? It's on. At the Meadows house, like, not my house now. Because I don't know if, if that's a public channel. We've got an antenna and we only do free channels at, at our house. But when I was a kid, we always had it on. And it's like those little, the, the brothers, right? The villains. And you had the one that only ran his mouth and he's just kind of sitting there behind his brother. That's Tobiah. Tobiah waits for um, Sam Ballot to say something and then he chimes in. And Tobiah's comment is that their, that their work will be so weak and insignificant that a fox, foxes are, are lightweight, right? They're pretty. Crafty on their feet. They're, they're light. Foxes, the animals, are quick on their feet. They're small and they're light. They're quiet. They would, that they would simply walk up on the wall. That this, this small animal would walk up on the wall and that it would crush the wall that they were working on. That the work that they were doing was not going to be good. It wasn't going to be sufficient. That it could easily be taken down. This is an insult. This literally made my blood boil. Why, why would you be so offended by this, Michael? 
Let me tell you why. A few years ago, another illustration I use a lot because it hurts is, is my TV stand that I built. My wife wanted me to build a TV stand. If you come over to our house now, the TV stand's in the basement and it holds books and mounted the, the TV on the wall. But when I built this, it was the most proud I've ever been about a project, right? And I remember countless times that we had families over and their kids would go around and they'd be jumping around and I'd see the TV kind of shaking a little bit and she'd be like, no, it's going to fall over. It's not good enough. It's not sufficient. And it made me think about this wall and how Tobiah doubted him. And, and Aubrey's like my Tobiah not trusting my TV stand. And it's just such an insult that like I put all this hard work into this. And, and to hear that, right? Like it's, a, it's an ongoing joke with Aubrey and I. But for them, for them it meant something. To hear this, they're jeering at them. They're mocking the Jews. It's insulting. It's insulting, but the, the follow-up, the follow-up churches, when, when we are ridiculed, what do we do? What do you do when your faith is ridiculed? Do we get up and do we walk away? Do we say, it's not worth it? It's not worth it to, to have enemies. Look, I don't like when people don't like me. It's a flaw of mine. I just got to get over it, right? Some of us feel that way. We don't like knowing that we're not liked. But I'd much rather be in good standing with God and, and being faithful to Him than caring what people think about me. Do we begin to fade away from the daily living that we've been called to live? You see, it's tough to see exactly how bad our walls are because we've settled for mediocre walls. And then mediocre, we've actually changed that word to great. Everything's great to me. Yesterday, I was supposed to go out and shovel our uh, front porch. My dad was coming in. Uh, my dad and stepmom were, were visiting. And she said, just go shovel the, the front porch. And I shoveled, and that was it. You all know we got an ice storm, so there's ice under all that snow. I just went on about my day. And then Aubrey walks in the house later, and she's like, did you really not put salt down? And I was like, I thought it was good enough. She's like, no, you'd still slip. At least you had traction with the snow, right? I'm like, look, I don't, like, yesterday didn't feel good. Um, like, I got family in. I'm trying to be a host. Like, just use the back door, right? It's like, that's fine. Just the back door. There's no steps. There's no porch, and you're fine. But we've done that with our spiritual walls to say that it's okay. It's good enough. And it's not. See, not all of the walls of Jerusalem were down, but the parts that were left were in bad shape. It would have been foolish to stop and say, I guess the walls are good enough. Church, we shouldn't settle for being a baby Christian. We should want to become mature, that we can stand firm and not be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, as the Scriptures say. Jerusalem wasn't all the way down, but it looked horrendous, and they had settled. They were comfortable. And maybe we haven't been ridiculed because we haven't been righteous. See, righteous living leads to being mocked, leads to being called out and made fun of. Like, oh, you would, you would believe that? From a book written thousands of years ago? Joke. Maybe we are too comfortable to see that our cracked walls are slowly breaking 
and something needs done. You see, church, we don't need to be involved in, in a church ministry or activity every night of the week, but you are a minister of God's Word every minute of your life. And when ridiculed, we must stand firm. See, I was, I was once questioned about how, how much conflict I've, I'd faced in my life. You say you haven't faced much conflict. Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, people don't like me. I just don't like, like I said, like I'm coming to that point where I'm like, they don't like me. I can't do anything about it. And I'm going to, to care for them so that that one thing isn't the one thing that they remember. Right? I'm going to keep loving on them and then, and then hopefully we'll be able to engage and in, in more um, conversation to where I can continue to share my views and to help put Jesus in the perspective. But I don't find the one thing that they don't like about me and like just beat it into them, right? See, they, they wanted to know, and my, my response is I've, placed, I've, I've faced plenty of conflict just keeping it from blowing up because I leave the conflict, leave the conflict with God. And I stand firm when ridiculed, and I do that through prayer. That's the continuation of this point this morning, church. Stand firm when ridiculed through prayer. So stand firm through prayer. See, faith is nothing without God. Like, that's the only faith that matters. It didn't, Aubrey's faith in the, the TV stand didn't matter. That is not a saving faith, right? And her having faith that it was going to stand didn't mean that it would stand, right? If she had faith in me, there's still the possibility, me being a broken creator, that that stand would fall on a kid one day. I don't know. It's downstairs now. We will never know. But God is not a broken being as we are. We are broken. God is not. So faith is nothing without God. We are nothing and will accomplish nothing apart from Him. Before we move on, let's just be in an attitude of prayer. Father, thank You again just for Your Word that, that we're reading this morning, that we're going through, God, that we're being united by. And I want to specifically pray for us right now, God, that we would seek, we would leave here seeking today a better pattern of communication with You, Father. You desire to know us. You desire for us to talk to you, not only to tell you about the good things, but God, you, you take in our complaints. You hear our lamenting. God, and I pray that we would leave here understanding that, that you are a caring God who wants to, that you want to know us and communicate with us on a personal level. So God, just lead us into a better pattern. Convict us of ways that we can do better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse four, uh, verses 4 through 6 says this, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land, in a land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builder. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. This is wild. Verses 4 and 5. Nehemiah's, Nehemiah clearly gets report about everything that was said, right, with just Timbalat and his friends. And his response is what we call imprecatory prayers. Can you guys say imprecatory? Amen. Imprecatory prayers. This is to, now everybody needs to like take a couple breaths. We're going to get through this together because it can not make sense at first. But this kind of praying is 
to pray evil or curse upon your enemies. <gasps> what? We're going to get there. Psalm, uh, well here, let me ask this. Is Nehemiah wrong? No, by no means. But follow along with me. Psalm 55, 15. Let death, um, let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive. For evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. Psalm 58, 6. Oh God, break their teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. You can read a lot of Psalms. David has plenty of these imprecatory prayers that we read throughout the Psalms. But why? What exactly is the purpose? Should we be praying damnation on our enemy? No. But let's explain this imprecatory prayer. Verse 4. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Hear, O our God, Nehemiah says. He hears this report, so immediately he goes to God. And that's why when we need to stand firm when we face being ridiculed, and we need to do that through prayer, going to God with our troubles, going to God with our requests and our need. How do we approach God without first addressing Him? So he says, he says, here, listen to me. God, give me your ear. Listen. Oh, our God. Nehemiah calls for the Lord's attention. Maylie's entered into this phase where she just will say my name until she has my attention. And like, I can only imagine God, like, God, 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 Lord, 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 Father, Father, Jesus, Jesus. Like, are you listening? Like, and that's, Maylie does it, and you just like look at her, you stop, and finally your eyes are set on her, and it's like, can I go to the bathroom? Like, of course you can go to the bathroom. Just go, right? Just go. But how do we approach God without first calling on Him? So why is He calling on Him? Why is He saying, hear me, O our God? Why? Because we are despised. We need you, God, because the enemy is at work. And if we understand anything about the Old Testament, that God was continually fighting the battle for His people literally entered himself into physical battles for his people, destroying and, and tearing down and killing the enemy. But we need God. Hear us, God, today, here in the Moose Lodge. Hear us, for we are despised by many in Medina. Nehemiah says, turn back their taunt, their mocking, right? Turn it back on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captive. Do not cover their guilt and let their sin not be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Nehemiah is praying, church, that justice would be done. Nehemiah is not praying for their eternity to be damned, but justice would prevail. Matthew Henry says this, we should be angry at the malice of persecutors, not because it is abusive to us, but because it is offensive to God. And on that, we may ground an expectation that God will appear against it. Matthew Henry. That we should be angry. Not when, not when we're slapped in the face, but because it despises God's Word. When people oppose God's church, they're, they're not opposing us, they are opposing Him. That's why the battle is real. That's why the battle is important. That's why it's relevant today that we stand firm more than ever. 
Because when we back down, it doesn't make us look weak. It makes God look weak and appear weak. As if He isn't the God of all creation, the Creator of all things, the Almighty God that's coming back one day to reign forever. So what does this mean for us? We, church, should not expect God to come down on our enemies because they hurt our feelings, but we should know that God will serve justice to His enemies. So what does it mean for us? It means that vengeance is the Lord, uh, the Lord's, and we go to Him in prayer. Romans 12, 17, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will pay, thus says the Lord. So we're not taking up the sword and, and going, Nehemiah didn't like go get swords and start fighting, right? Oh, they're going to mock me. Oh, they're going to come after us. Get swords, boys. Let's go fight. No, he lays it before the Lord. We aren't praying for damnation, but that God, like we're not praying for people to go to hell for eternity, but that the Lord would serve justice. And in the midst of justice, that's where we find grace, church. When we understand that, that there are consequences to our actions. And this is what I'm working through with uh, my three-year-old, Maylee, right now. Like, just this past week, like Maylee understands, as of three days ago, that I don't like to discipline harshly. But I will. And we had told her, we told her all day, we were patient with her, right? We said, if you do this again, you're going to get a spanking. We, we've told you, enough is enough. You are going to get a spanking. And sure enough, she did it. Like, like, look away for a minute, and I'm like, Maylee, come here. Like, come on, you got to get on my knee. I don't want a spanking. I'm like, why are you getting a spanking? Because I didn't do what you told me to. And I'm like, and guess what I have to do now? Because you've got to understand for the next time that you wouldn't do it. And he is praying that Stan Ballot would, would that sin of opposing God's people and trying to stop them from building the walls so that they can worship God, that it wouldn't be forgiven, but he, justice would be served. And after that, Stan Ballot can turn, but don't let this be forgotten because he's opposing you, God, not us, you. He's not praying for him to, to go to hell for all of eternity. He's praying that, that he would understand the consequences that come with his actions. Had Stan Ballot been allowed to continue, with, continue on with no retribution, then he would have continued on as though he was doing no wrong. Wrong. He was doing wrong. He made himself an enemy of God. See, church, when we don't know God as Savior, we are not a child of God. That's what we call adoption, right? That, that's something that's kind of mixed up in American Christianity, that, that everybody's a child of God. That doesn't mean that there's not a general love for all creation. That's not the problem, right? The Bible talks about adoption. I don't care you know, like where we stand on certain doctrinal issues. That's what we call adoption, right? That if you're not adopted, then you're not a, a part of, of God's family. We get this beautiful, beautiful picture of what is going on for, for God and, and His people. It's so beautiful how God takes what is broken and He restores it. But Stan Ballot had made himself an enemy. He had decided to live in this broken situation. So church, my question to us in this point is how are we trusting God? How are we trusting in God? How are we taking our requests, our troubles, our lamenting to the Lord? Because the Bible speaks about our God as wanting to hear from us, 
wanting to communicate with his people. See, so are we? Are we leaving our troubles with him or are we carrying the burden we're not meant to carry? You see, in doing so, in carrying the burden, the burden becomes heavier than the fox and actually becomes a wrecking ball that comes crashing through the spiritual walls we've been building all along. We are called to communicate with him, to lift these things up, to talk to our God about our enemies. That, hey, we, we want them to, to not just let that, that sin go, but that they would see the severity of it and that through it might see their need for you, that they are in despair and are in need of redemption. See, church, we are to stand firm when ridiculed through prayer and community. The final point, stand firm through community. Verses 6, I'm going to read this all the way through the end of chapter 4 for us. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. Now look at this mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah the Arabs and the Arabs and the Ammonites um, had joined the Ashdodites, um, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted, they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed, so, so look, you're, you're seeing these points over and over. Nehemiah's standing firm, he's hearing about their plan, which again seems to be in secret, right? They wanted to, to cause some confusion. Nehemiah gets this, and what do they do? Not him, but they together. So through prayer and through community, communal prayer, they pray to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. They're not saying, God, you take care of this. We're saying, we trust you and we're going to set guard. They're taking action themselves. Just like the beginning of Nehemiah 1 when he sees the brokenness, but he doesn't just pray to God. He actually does something about it, trusting that God will provide. And we pray to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we would not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Why? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. Now listen to this, this plan them standing firm through community. Verse 16, from that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with another. They're literally laying brick with one hand and a sword in another. They're 
ready to do it all. Like, like we're working here and we're fighting here, right? Nothing is going to stop them from getting this project done. And each of the builders, in verse 18, and each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side. They were concealed carry. This is the first concealed carry folks, right? They got the sword ready. They're at work. They don't, they don't care where they are. They're, they're strapped, right? They held his weapon with another, and each of the builders had a sword strapped at his side um, while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So Nehemiah has a person with this trumpet ready to let him know when war is about to happen, if an attack happens while Nehemiah is going around and checking everything. Right? And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on, another, uh, on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us. Right? So they could hear the trumpet throughout this en- entire land. And our God will fight for, for us. So we labored at the work. And community, church, they, they stood firm. Nothing was going to stop them. It wasn't just the mocking. It wasn't even that they were told that they were going to be killed. Men, women, children, everybody was ready to fight this fight. Not for themselves, but for God and His people. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Church, that is what radical living looks like for the God of all creation that they were standing firm. They were not backing down. They literally were not going home to change their clothes. Why? They didn't have time for it. They needed to stand guard. They wanted to see this mission completed. They didn't want to see another 150 years go by of people not faithfully worshiping God. They take up their weapons. They do whatever they can. Nehemiah even says, our God will fight for us. Nehemiah knew that this project was going to happen. You could raise up 50 sand ballots. They were all going to be conquered by the king of all kings. Nothing was going to back him down. Sure, turn the other cheek, but Nehemiah is getting the work done. Nehemiah understands that it's not just about himself. He knows it's not just about praying that we, church, also must be taking action. And this isn't individual action. We are not set out to, to start our own conquest, right? To, to go out and to, to be about our own individualistic mission. But that we, collectively as a church, are called to live life on mission. To be ministers of God's Word. You, just, you read just those verses 15 through 23, just to the end. And just the camaraderie. The reason it was so easy to buy into Cleveland sports was because of Cleveland sports culture. A bunch of broken people seeking the same hope. And church, we are still a bunch of broken people seeking hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ our King. And he, Nehemiah understands this, that we must stand firm 
arm in arm. What is that, that game where you like Red Rover, Red Rover? Like we, church, when the enemy is sending someone over, that we would unite and link up together and hopefully not get busted down, right? You got like reinforcements and everybody ready not to send the enemy back with, with misused imprecatory prayers, but that, that they would feel the consequence of the strength of the church and when they fall, they experience the grace of the church. How are we standing firm in our faith when ridiculed by the outside world? I can tell you, Nehemiah lays out a beautiful plan by just doing it. He didn't have to be like Paul to say, you must do this, this, and this. Look at how beautiful this is, that Nehemiah doesn't go and just fight the enemy, but he rallies God's people. Church, we too should be ready to stand firm when ridiculed through prayer and community together. That's why group is so important that we do life together, that we can, we can carry each other's burdens, that we could, we could experience each other's pain, that we could rejoice in one another's triumph. But when we don't do community together, then we don't know what's going on in one another's life. We don't know how to serve one another. So church, let's, let's, let's continue to, to rebuild these walls within ourselves that, that we would become spiritually strong and, and mature as Christians and that we could, we could invest in and disciple and care to younger believers and raise them up, that they too would be strong. And, and that in doing so, it would look like the walls of Jerusalem where each person is working on a, a piece and next thing you know, be, before you even blink, they have it built to half its height. Church, it's a process. If we don't like the process, we will never get progress. Ben, you can go ahead and come back up. Those are the things I want us to think about this morning and going into the rest of this week. How are we standing firm? Because we represent something much bigger than ourselves. Father, I'd, we come to you now just in thank. in awe and wonder of who you are, our mighty God. And I pray right now, God, that, that you would continue to stir in our hearts, God, to, to continue to, to show us ways that maybe we, we just haven't lived faithfully, God, that we haven't stood firm. God, and, and I hope that you would, and pray that you would encourage us right now that there might be a, a, a time of unfaithfulness, God, in our life. But that doesn't mean that the future is not full of faithfulness, God, that we can, we can be restored. And that's the beautiful message of the gospel, even to us, people who've been believers for years, that we still experience this, this saving grace and the joy of it. And God, I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of the joy that is only found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, we would continue to be restored by it, united by it, sanctified by it. God, and that your church would be built up. God, that, that your people would be built up. Not for, for our glory, but for yours. God, that we would, we would benefit from it. God, that it would be for our good in this, this life, but that you would receive the glory. You would receive the honor. That, that darkness would be pushed back and people would come to know you as God and worship you as God. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.